As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health, your body, and your baby will thank you. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Hey, hey, it's another great birth story episode. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 132. Thank you for being here with me today. 
In today's birth story episode, we have Alex. Alex is 30 years old. She had her baby girl in March of this year. She's been married for four years and they live in the mountains of Colorado. She is an oncology pharmacist at her local cancer center and she likes to hike, ski, and travel. Alex joins us to share her experience of having a miscarriage with her first pregnancy at around 11 weeks. She then got pregnant fairly quickly thereafter, about three months later. That pregnancy was pretty uneventful until about 33, 34 weeks when she started to have really bad itching and she was diagnosed with something called cholestasis of pregnancy. And you're going to learn what that is in the episode. She ultimately was induced because of the cholestasis and she's going to share how she managed her labor induction without an epidural. She's also going to talk about her postpartum recovery and some challenges that she had there. As always, this is an amazing birth story episode. I know that you are going to enjoy it and learn a lot. Now, before we hop into the episode, let's do a quick listener shout out. This is from I'm just going to spell it R A C I Z M E. And she left me this review in Apple podcast. And the title of the review says informative and hopeful. I've been listening to this podcast on and off since my first pregnancy about a year ago. I'm now on my third after two early miscarriages, and while I've needed to take breaks for my own mental sanity, I've found this podcast to be comforting, hopeful, and more than anything, informative. I adore listening to the birth stories with real perspectives, the good and the bad, loss, and ultimately triumph. Dr. Rankins has such a calming, comforting demeanor, and you just feel how she cares so deeply about the process and about guiding each woman through a successful pregnancy journey. I can't wait to dive deeper into her resources and practice these topics in my own pregnancy, praying that I will have a successful pregnancy this time around. Well, I too am praying that you have a successful pregnancy. I am wishing you the absolute best. And I so, so appreciate you taking the time to leave me that lovely and kind review. Now, speaking of the resources I provide, I have created a new resource. It is a fun, quick quiz to help you assess where you are in terms of your knowledge about managing pain and labor and the options for managing pain and labor. It's super quick, super fun. You'll definitely learn something just by going through it. You can check it out at drnicolerankins.com forward slash quiz. It's called the labor pain quiz. And the link to that is in the website notes and also in the podcast show notes. All right, let's hop into the episode birth story with Alex. Thank you so much, Alex, for agreeing to come on to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you come on and share your birth story. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm uh, excited to be able to share. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Because I think that is important to your pregnancy as well and your family, if you'd like. So um, I live in the mountains in Colorado with my husband, who is a firefighter and our now three and a half month old baby girl, Sloan, and uh, a huge five-year-old golden retriever named Benjamin. Um, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I am a pharmacist that specializes in cancer care and, uh, and chemotherapy. 
Okay. So yeah, we're going to talk about how that impacted, because I'm sure you work with some potentially dangerous medications in the sense that they affect pregnancy. I'm jealous that you live in the mountains. I, I love the mountains of Virginia. So I'm sure it's beautiful where you are. It is definitely fantastic. It was uh, hard for me this year not to be able to ski this winter because that's been a huge oh. part of my life since I was very, very little. Right, right, right. Well, if your baby is is three, three months old, then yeah, you were definitely very much so pregnant in the middle of the winter. Oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah, with all of the things going on. So, all right. So why don't we have you tell us about, because um, uh, in order to stand, understand birth, we have to understand a bit what the pregnancy was like. So what was your pregnancy and prenatal care like? Sure. So um, I was pretty fortunate uh, to be able to receive all of my prenatal care and actually deliver in the hospital that I work for. Um, so that was pretty undoubtedly convenient, but also reassuring, you know, that my care team was was literally in the same building as me. Um, but the OBGYN group there is a, a combined physician and midwife practice. Um, so they do cycle you through all of the providers um, throughout your prenatal appointments. And um, I was able to, to meet and work with with most of them. Um, of course, the woman that ended up delivering my baby, I had never <laughs> met, but but she was still fantastic. Um, I do think like just, just sort of reflecting on that, that I, I do think I would have preferred maybe just a, a single provider instead of being mm -hmm. circled through just for continuity and, and consistency of care. It did seem like they all had, you know, kind of slightly differing opinions about symptoms and issues. Um, but overall, I was pretty happy with my care. Um, and then as far as how my pregnancy went, um, I actually initially found out that I was pregnant in early January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And at around seven weeks, started spotting pretty heavily, um, went in for an ultrasound. They did see a fetal pole and just a little flicker of a heartbeat. Um, but my HCG levels and progesterone levels were very, very low. So they th mm -hmm. at that point called it a, a threatened miscarriage, brought me in three weeks later. And of course, didn't see a heartbeat. Um, baby was only measuring at eight weeks weeks at that time. So they did diagnose me with a, a missed miscarriage. Um, the physician recommended against a DNC. Um, so I did do the, the mifeprestone and mm -hmm. misoprostol drug protocol to just sort of help pass um, those retained products of conception, I think they right. call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, obviously very uh, just rough and, and intense, but thankfully um, effective. And I was able to get pregnant um, four months after that. So I uh, didn't didn't have to wait very long, which was which was great. And my second pregnancy was largely uneventful, um, kind of until the, the very end of my third trimester. So um, pretty thankful for that. Nice. Yeah. Well, good, good. I know it can be like, um, for some people like really, like you said, find it really reassuring that they give birth to the place where they work. Some people are like, dang, I wish I could go someplace else. So I'm glad that, <laughs> that, that you were able to find some, uh, that yes. it was a good fit, a good fit for you. And I can totally see, especially if there's like, seven or eight doctors in the group, which doctors tend to be like that, you really don't get a connection with anybody. Exactly. Yeah. And you almost wonder, is it better to like see somebody regular and develop that connection during pregnancy and then pr prepare for the possibility that, you know, whoever's there, you may not know, because it's likely you just, even if you meet everyone once, you just don't have that ability to connect. So that's, that's certainly something to, to think about. And I'm also curious, like interesting that your doctor recommended against the DNC. What was usually we presented as an option 
Were they just like, it wasn't necessary or doing the surgery? I'm curious. Well, it was presented as an option, but um, he talked quite a bit about scar tissue Mm -hmm. and that if I wanted to get pregnant after that, you know, I might have more, more success, I guess, doing, doing the drug protocol instead of a DNC. And um, maybe it was just his, his preference. I, I, I really am not sure. Sure, sure. The exact reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think often very early. I, I, I tend to lean. I, I don't. I'm not in the office anymore. But I think that, yeah, for those early pregnancy losses, that combination of medications can work well. It ends up being like a heavy period. Yep. Um. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad that um your second pregnancy was largely uneventful, um until the end, which we'll which we'll talk about. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to amazon.com or walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. So you said that you you are an oncology pharmacist. And I'm sure you work with some potentially um, dangerous medications in the sense that they could have a a negative impact on pregnancy. How did you manage that risk? Yeah. So fortunately, um, as the pharmacist, I don't have to, you know, prepare the chemotherapy for infusion and I don't have to administer it. You know, the nurses um, do that. But I do have this sort of low level risk of exposure just because my office is adjacent to where we mix chemotherapy and where we store chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just this potential that, that chemotherapy can li- literally like be in the air and it can collect on surfaces. So, you know, the, the risk that my desk was just sort of covered in these, you know, very small chemotherapy particles was very much a real thing. And there is, you know, documented evidence that um, people who work with chemotherapy can have negative pregnancy outcomes, mainly trouble getting pregnant, um, early pregnancy loss, um, and not a lot of, uh, you know, genetic complications with the fetus, but, you know, definitely uh, just some complications. So I was very worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, my my bosses and my colleagues were incredibly supportive of that and um, essentially made it possible where other than me sitting in my office, I didn't have to touch the drugs. I didn't have to carry the drugs, be around it. I didn't have to, you know, enter patients' rooms where they had just vomited and the vomit could have, you know, potentially have chemotherapy in it, all of those Mm -hmm. kind of things. And we were able to implement new cleaning procedures and everyone was just incredibly supportive. So I um, eventually just felt like my risk was, uh, was very low and, um, and sort of got, got through it that way. Yeah. 
That's that's really great that you had a supportive team of folks around you who were willing to help you because that's that's scary and you just you know you just you just don't know. Um, so that's that's great that you were able to have that have that um, have that support for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you said your pregnancy was going along well, and then around about 33, 34 weeks, things changed. Tell us what happened with that. <laughs> things did change. Um, I very interestingly just got incredibly itchy, like all over, mainly on like the soles of my feet and obviously um, my my belly that was, you know, stretching and, and growing. Um, but went in at 34 weeks and the, the provider that I saw um, suspected cholestasis, um, mm-hmm. which is this interesting and as I understand it, very rare, but potentially very serious condition um, that can happen where your bile acids, and you can speak more to this, but uh-huh. that your bile acids accumulate essentially, and they they wedge themselves into the little capillaries that are close to your skin, and that makes you itch, but it can also go and, and seed themselves into the placenta and then cause um, lower blood flow to the fetus, I think is if that's correct. Well, if that's um, not a perfect explanation, I don't know what is. That was excellent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and because of that, it increases the risk of stillbirth. So, yeah. So yeah. they, they had presented to me that, you know, if um, they diagnose it based on symptoms and then lab tests. And they had said, if your if your labs come back high, you know, we might need to consider induction at 37 weeks. And so interesting me, my labs came back right at that borderline level. I think it's above 10 where you really worry and mine were, you know, in the like right around nine. Mm. So they opted to just monitor me very closely. I went in every week um, for a non-stress test. Like they hooked me up to, to check the baby's heart rate every week. And, and thankfully all of that was fine. Um, but it just, it, it never went away. And I, I was just very, very uncomfortable for those last kind of six, four to six weeks of my, of my pregnancy. Sure, sure, sure. What did you do to try to help with the itching? Oh my gosh, just, you know, Aveeno baths and just tried to slather myself in all of the lotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I took the doxalamine mm-hmm. um, just to try to see if that would help. And it did help me sleep through a lot of the itching, which was good. Right. At one point they, they did prescribe me the, the ursodiol, which uh-huh. would just sort of help break down those little bile acids and maybe right. help you itch a bit less. But I took it for a couple of days and it didn't help. And then I was like, I don't really want to be taking a medication if it's not helping. Sure. And, and so sort of just toughed it out. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And I don't know if, it, if anybody listening, if you ever had a problem with itching, I have weird sometimes um, I've had like hives. I think it's a stress reaction where it break. I will have broken out in hives and itching. When you have intense itching and it is all over, it is so uncomfortable. In- incredibly miserable and almost painful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like that, it's, it's like burning and pins and needles. And, and yeah, you just, when you can't get rid of it, it is, <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> yes. Yes. And to go through it for weeks. So um, kudos to you for toughing it out, but it is, <laughs> it is, it is hard. And then you're taking medications that can make you like a lot of the antihistamines can make you sleepy. Yep. Um, and then you're still trying to work. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to have that experience, but guys, let me tell you, although it may sound like, oh, you're itching, it's not that bad. Intense itching that is can be really, really, really annoying, <laughs> uh, <laughs> interfering with your life. So, all right. So you were dealing with that and then you kind of knew that you were going to probably have to be 
um, induced at, at, at some point, what did you do when you knew that that was coming? What did you do to prepare for your birth? Um, I did a, I did a lot of things actually to, to prepare for birth. Mm -hmm. Um, initially I, you know, read all the books I read expecting better. And I read Ina May's guide Mm -hmm. to childbirth Mm -hmm. and, um, did all that, listened to some other podcasts and then found your podcast actually at one point. And it just sort of really resonated with me and clicked with me. And more than anything, I loved hearing birth stories mm-hmm. and just just hearing what other women went through. And um, I just thought that that was incredibly valuable. Um, and I had it in my head that I really, I didn't necessarily want a, a fully unmedicated birth, right. but I, I did want to do it without an epidural. Okay. So um, tried to kind of focus on birth stories where other women had done that, talked to my friends who had done it without an epidural, just sort of got some advice from from them. And um, that was hugely helpful for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm guessing you listen to the Birth Hour podcast. I know lots of folks listen to that when they want to listen to birth stories. You know what? I actually, I, I heard you reference it uh-huh. a bunch, but you had enough in your armamentarium oh. that I was able to <laughs> go back all the way to the beginning and, and listen to essentially all the ones that you had done. I well, love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So you wanted um, to do, you know, low intervention, it sounds like, you know, sure. not no epidural for your birth, anything else that you wanted for your birth? Um, not, not really. I was, I was very open to kind of all of the possibilities and just understood that, you know, things can change so quickly. I did, I just didn't want to be mentally attached to, to a plan that then would change that then I might be disappointed sure. in my birth experience. Sure. So sure. did you think it, did you ever consider a doula or anything like that? I, I didn't mainly because of COVID. Um, they wouldn't have been allowed in any way. Ah, gotcha. Um, and I have a, well, not, you know, medically inclined husband, a, a very, very supportive husband who just completely followed my lead. And I was able, I actually ended up making him a ton of notes, like on a note in his iPhone. <laughs> so he could, you know, he could have like little things to sort of uh, remember and then encourage me, like all of the ways to breathe right. and suggest this position and all of that kind of stuff. I so um, I think like, I thankfully had uh, a very good support system in him. Gotcha. Gotcha. And did you just get all your information from books or did you do a formal childbirth education class at all? We, again, because of COVID, everything was pretty much uh-huh. shut down to yeah. do an in-person class. Yeah. So we did do one online um, that I thought was kind of helpful. If anything, it was helpful for my husband and I just to like discuss the possibilities and um, just sort of learn about you know, some techniques for pain management and, and those kind of things. I didn't think it was hugely helpful, probably because it wasn't in person and it wasn't personalized, anything like that, but, um, it did spark some good discussions. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about what was your labor and birth like? So, um, like I said, you know, around 34 weeks, um, I developed this sort of intense itching and they were, uh, bringing me in every week, obviously just for follow-up, but also for the non-stress. And then they were also, um, checking my cervix every week. Um, because I think, you know, the, the, the thought of induction seemed like it was always on the table. Mm -hmm. So they were always sort of checking me to see if I was favorable for induction. Um, And around 35 weeks, I was actually already four centimeters dilated, which was just sort of crazy to me. Yeah. 
But so, like I said, they were um, just suggesting that I sort of tough out the itching, tough out all these terrible Braxton Hicks contractions I was having all of the time. Mm. Um, And around 38 weeks at at that appointment, I was so uncomfortable. I actually requested that they sweep my membranes, um, which they did. And at that point, you know, the midwife was like, you're four centimeters. I just swept your membranes. I assume we're going to see you tonight. If not, call us back in 48 hours and we'll, we'll discuss a plan. So of course, 48 hours later, I was not in labor (laughs) (laughs) and I was actually at work called, uh, called the on-call midwife. And she was like, well, you know, run upstairs. I'll see you in L and D triage and and we'll come up with a plan. And um, she, interestingly, um, unlike some of the other providers I had seen was very, very worried about the fact that I was still itchy and essentially said, I don't really care what your labs are. You're this itchy. I don't even want to flirt with the idea that you have cholestasis. I want to induce you today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was like, well, can I, can I go back to my office? I, I've got some emails I need to write. Right. I need to call <laughs> my husband. We live like an hour away from the hospital. So I was like, I need to get him here. Right. She's like, yeah, sure. You know, come back in a couple hours. So like three hours later, I literally uh, got admitted and um, they started Pitocin around two o'clock. Um, I was also group B strep positive. Mm-hmm. So um, they started ampicillin at that same time. And, and when I got admitted, I was right around five centimeters and had a really easy time um, for, for quite a while. Um, my husband and I actually ended up playing cards for most of oh, wow. <laughs> most of that time. Right. Yeah. And so around eight o'clock after I had gotten the two doses of ampicillin, they were able to break my water. Um, and I was at about six centimeters when they broke my water and things just got so intense, mm-hmm. so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally within 90 seconds of them breaking my water, I was having 90 second contractions, 90 seconds apart, and they were frequently doubling up, Mm. which I think is um, because of the Pitocin, I think is at least how I understood it, that that was a, that was a possibility. So um, just really intense, really fast. Um, And in my head, like I said, we didn't really have a, a birth plan by any means, but we had done a lot of thinking about different positions and being on the ball and being in the tub and all of that. And, and terminally, I could only get comfortable in essentially one single position and did not want to move at all once I once I got relatively comfortable. Interesting. What position was that? I'm just curious. Kind of like a, I think they called it like a Buddha position almost. Uh-huh. Like they, they raised the back of the bed really high upright. So I was sitting upright and then put my legs down beneath me. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and that seemed to, to at least work for me for a while. And then around... I don't know, maybe 10 p.m. or so, they they checked me again. I was seven or eight centimeters. I don't remember exactly. But I started shaking, like, almost uncontrollably. Mm. Um, just really, really bad shaking. And the nurse suggested that I try the tub, which I did maybe for 15 minutes. And again, just couldn't get comfortable in the tub. So went back to that one position I was comfortable in, but at that time um, requested a dose of, of fentanyl. Okay, And that was... Um, hugely helpful for me. Um, Not that it took away all of the pain, but that it just really allowed me to kind of dissociate from the pain Uh and focus on my breathing and really just sort of turn inward, um, which was what I knew I needed to do if I was going to do it without an epidural. So I was able to just really focus and 
and also at some point started falling asleep between my contractions, okay. which I don't know how you can fall asleep in 90 <laughs> seconds, but, but I definitely did. And it, um, it was helpful because at that point, you know, you pain, pain is exhausting mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I was very getting very tired. Um, so at the, well, the fentanyl started to wear off. Um, I knew at that point, you know, they were like, you're, you're pretty far along. We don't feel comfortable giving you another dose. Yeah. So I requested, I requested to do the, the nitrous oxide, which again, didn't really help with the pain, but just helped me dissociate. And I was able to, to use that while I sort of, um, breathed through the contractions and that was helpful to me. And, um, maybe around midnight, I was 100% ready to, to tap out, get an epidural. Cause I, like I just said, I was exhausted right? and thought that at least with an epidural, I could sleep for a while, recuperate, and then have the energy to push. And so she checked me. And of course I was at nine and a half centimeters <laughs> and she was like, uh, we don't really have any options at this point. Um, which was good though, because I had at that point, you know, really developed the urge to push, and um, was motivated to push for sure. And as soon as I started pushing, I think a lot of women have that that sensation that it really feels good to push. Um, so in a way, was kind of thankful for that um, and pushed for about an hour, um, which again, very, very intense uh-huh. um, and got, you know, close to the end when she was crowning and they had me hold her while she was crowning for a good three contractions, I think, if I remember it correctly. And that was, that was very, very intense. The, the ring of fire is undoubtedly a a real (laughs) sensation. Um, and, uh, you know, after that one push to get her head out and, you know, one push to get her shoulders out. And unfortunately, um, we later learned that she was in like the 80th percentile for head circumference. (laughs) So I, I did, I did still end up with a grade three tear, but, um, but overall, uh, it, it went pretty well. Gotcha, gotcha. As a fellow, I had C-sections, but as a fellow mm-hmm. mother of children with big heads there, my children's <laughs> heads were always in the 95th percentile. So I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, all righty. Yep. So um, lots of things come up when I think about how, you know, your experience. It was, it's interesting that were, were they offering you the options of like, do you want some IV medicine or do you want some nitrous oxide? Or did you tell them like, I will tell you what I, I want. So don't ask and I'll let you know. It was very much that way. Um, like I had, you know, done all the, the research mm-hmm. about um, the fentanyl and about the nitrous. So knew that there was going to be a point that I would probably want one or both of them. Gotcha. Um, the, the nurse, we had a fantastic nurse um, and she was very instrumental in just helping me find that position to get comfortable in and um, just helping me breathe through the contractions. And when I started shaking uncontrollably, you know, she was really right there just trying to help me figure out how I could get through that. And so um, I asked for the drugs, but she was very helpful with everything else. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then did you have a midwife? Were, the, were midwives caring for you or was it physicians? Correct. It ended up being a midwife. The The physicians in that practice, you know, really only come in for um, C-sections and and those kind of things, but the midwives do most of the deliveries. Okay, so. yeah, that's a, that's a ma. Uh, I just recently, well, at the time we're recording this, I did a podcast episode on midwifery, and uh, yeah, that is a, a model that some practices adopt, where li- the midwives literally do all, most of the vaginal births, and physicians yep. only do C sections or operative vaginal deliveries. Yeah, um, that's how it is. Yeah, during the time, were they? 
as things were ramping up, were they still increasing the Pitocin or was it like, how was, what were they doing with the Pitocin? (laughs) No, they were definitely increasing the Pitocin. And I remember asking the nurse at one point, you know, right around seven or eight centimeters, like, can we turn it down? Can we turn it off? Like, stop. And she was like, no, we we really can't. And I remember being pretty disheartened by that. But um, I think, and that was right when I started, you know, like, okay, then I need some drugs. Gotcha. Yeah. Because it was just really intense. It's it was very intense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it sounds like you 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 had. I think that the beauty is that you had all of these options that you knew in your tool bag, but in the end, it was like a couple of things that really worked well for you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had. I feel like I had done. Um, yeah, all of the research and like I said, listened to enough podcasts and read enough, um, that I, yeah, I definitely had a a full toolbox and was pretty surprised, I think, by the fact that I only ended up, you know, in, in one position Mm -hmm, without mm -hmm. a doubt. Right, right, right. And what was your husband doing, doing during all of this time? (laughs) (laughs) He, he was there with me the whole time, um, and, and very supportive, but I undoubtedly very much turned inward uh-huh. and and feel like I was very much in a way not in that room mentally. So I know he was there um, right at the the very end of labor before they let me push. Um, he was incredibly helpful with those, you know, last few minutes of, of contractions. I remember just like staring into his eyes because it was like the only thing I could do to to not think about how much pain I was in. And then um, while I was pushing, he was he was super helpful right there. I'm sure he had a you know couple broken fingers or a bruised hand um, after I was done just because I was squeezing his so hard. Right. But um, yeah, he he was super helpful. Love it. Love it. Love it. So um, you you say so you ended up with a third degree tear, it it sounds like, and Correct. you didn't have an epidural. So, and I, oh, let me back up and say, I presume they did skin to skin contact and absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so this episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey to casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy to digest formula. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Um, when you when it was time to get that repair fixed, what did they do for you for pain management? It's <laughs> a great question. It was interesting. They were using, you know, obviously topical lidocaine to try to numb the area, but it wasn't working for me really at all. And I felt most of quite a few stitches um, go in. So they let me continue to use the nitrous oxide, uh-huh. um, which I, I would say was was kind of helpful. 
Um, but I, I still felt quite a bit of it. And looking back, it was actually kind of sad because I don't really remember a lot of those first moments with my baby because of the nitrous. You know, I was kind of, it makes you feel drunk. Sure. And I, I just don't remember those very, very precious moments that well. So that was maybe the one part of my birth experience that I was um, not upset about, but just... Yeah. Um, just a little sad about. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I can totally understand that. That's one of the things that I know on my side is is frustrating is when someone doesn't have an epidural and then they need stitches afterwards, making sure that they're comfortable during the procedure is can be tricky sometimes. So yeah, I, I totally see how, how that how that unfolded um, for you. But hopefully it didn't take too terribly long and you were able to to get started with being a mother fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, again, I don't, I don't really remember that well, but, um, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's hope it was that way. Yeah. 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 So then what, what has the postpartum period been like for you? It's been a, uh, it's been a challenge for sure. Um, in delivery, I also ended up dislocating my tailbone. Oh, so the first, how did you yeah, figure that out? Um, I don't know. Like I was, uh, my tailbone hurt immensely, like, uh, within a couple hours of delivery, it was very, very hard for me to ambulate. And one of the midwives came and just sort of pushed on my bones at that point and just sort of made that suspected diagnosis right. that, that that's what had happened. She said, I don't think you broke it, but it's, there's a very good chance that you dislocated it or, you know, severely bruised it, whatever it was. Oh. But I was in quite a bit of pain from that. And literally it would take me five minutes to get out of bed because I had to move so slowly. Um, so that was, you know, hard as, as a yes. new mother. Um, but then also, um, Sloan had high bilirubin levels. So she needed to be in under the bilirubin lights, um, for three days. So we were in the hospital for, you know, an extra, an extra day. Um, and that's just really hard to see your, you know, your baby in a little, a little box, you know, over in the corner of your room and that you can't really cuddle and hang out with them. So that was tough. Um, I definitely had some, some baby blues from about three to six weeks, um, and was was able to get through that, but it's it's for sure a, a real thing. Just had a hard time bonding, mm-hmm. I think. And then mm-hmm. and then at one point it, it it totally lifted and it clicked, but there was a tough time there for sure. Um, and then also at around three weeks, just had this very strange sensation that um, like something was was falling out and went to my provider and got diagnosed with bladder prolapse. Um, So have been dealing with that now too, but was able to start um, pelvic floor physical therapy Uh um, around eight weeks. And that's been that's been hugely helpful. I would recommend that every pregnant woman prolapse or not go to, to pelvic floor PT. It's it's amazing. We don't recommend it enough at all. And they, they do like m- magic <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you actually had a lot going on. I mean, it sounds like you, you, man- you managed it pretty well, but I'm guessing in the moment that was difficult. Like, how did you like the tailbone issue? Did you did it just get better slowly? I mean, that's a big setback potentially right after birth. It really was. Um, I have some good friends who are uh, massage therapists, mm-hmm. so kind of asked them their recommendations, and they gave me some suggestions um, for stretches and just sort of movements that I could do, like really shallow squats mm-hmm. almost, that I could do to just sort of gently kind of work it back into place. Um, so that and around the clock ibuprofen for mm-hmm. like a solid three weeks yeah, um, yeah. And, and eventually got through it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, do you feel like you had support and guidance from the healthcare system? 
in terms of helping you navigate these things in the postpartum period? Um, not enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I really wish that um, postpartum education was more a part of prenatal care. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, it's just never mentioned that, that those sort of things can happen, I, I think. Um, like I had no idea that bladder prolapse was even a possibility. Um, and I think it would have been nice to, to at least know that. And once it got diagnosed, you know, my, my midwife was, um, you know, very helpful and, you know, recommended PT and all of that. But yes, for sure. I mean, I've, I've learned this from a colleague and I've said this, you know, many times is that it's like the, the woman is like this, this wrapper carrying the sweet candy. And once the candy's out, we kind of toss the wrapper away after pregnancy <laughs> is over. And we need to like realize that, that we need to look um, after after moms as well, because in order for baby to be healthy, mom has to be healthy also and be able to take care of that brand new human being. But yeah, we definitely need to do it starting in the, in the prenatal period. I had a, a a psychologist on the podcast last year and she, or maybe it was the year before that. Anyway, she thought we should start talking about it at 28 weeks, like in the third trimester, start preparing for postpartum. And I agree. We, we do need to do that more. I absolutely do too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so did they see you at a typical like six week checkup uh, if you hadn't otherwise have called to make an appointment earlier? Correct. That was all that was um, initially scheduled was the six week. And then, yeah, I had called around three weeks. Yeah, I think that's just that's just not adequate, especially after your first baby. I think we just we're trying we're getting better about checking in on folks sooner. But six weeks is just a lot happens in those first six weeks. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 So looking back on things, how do you feel about your birth experience? Um, Like I said, I thought that it was I felt very empowered Mm -hmm. um, just to to start off, you know, that I was was able to do it. I was, you know, proud of myself. Absolutely. Um, But um, like I had mentioned, was just a little bit sad that I don't have great memories of those, you know, first maybe two hours after she was born. Like I remember, um, you know, them calling out that she was a girl. We didn't know that we didn't know the gender. And um, I re- yeah. And I remember, um, you know, them putting her on my chest, but then after that, it's really a blur. So um, that I, I, I do wish I had um, just been more a part of. Um, and that, and, and really just like we were just talking about that. I wish I had um, known about some of the postpartum complications um, beyond depression and, and hemorrhage. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely more to it, more to it than that. Um, do you feel like, it sounds like you had friends you were able to lean on in the postpartum period or, or community. Do you feel like community was a part of helping you get through that sort of postpartum piece? Um, I mean, you, you have, you obviously have children um, mm-hmm. and understand that, you know, that newborn phase, those first six weeks, you're pretty isolated. So, you know, you're really, you're just at home. You're just yeah. <laughs> with that baby. And yeah. I actually, I didn't, I saw my friends, but maybe not enough. Um, my husband was home for maybe three weeks after Sloan was born. And so I don't know if I had great support mm. in the the postpartum period. Mm. Um, uh, my mom came for two weeks and that was super helpful. And, um, my dad lives not too far away. And so he would come over and help out with Sloan. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe I just didn't talk about it enough. Um, I am now, but, um, maybe could have used a little bit more support actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's definitely hard. And when you look back on it, it's like, I know for me, when my first one, who was a preemie, I was 
that like I'm a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> it's in those first, that first month. So I think we're getting better about like creating even online communities or things like that, where people can reach out and know that, like you said, like the bonding piece, it doesn't always happen immediately that you're just like in love with this. And I'm not trying to project on you. I'm just saying in general, like that you're in love with this, this person. Sometimes it takes yeah. But, you know, they're new, you're new. It just takes a little bit to get all of those things connected. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's that's exactly um, how I felt. Yeah, yeah. So um, just to wrap up, what is one your one favorite piece of advice that you would tell other women as they get ready for their birth? Sure. It's kind of a, a multifactorial, sure, I guess. But um, that, <laughs> during pregnancy, deliver, and in the postpartum period, I would just say, you know, if your body is telling you something, like listen to it. Mm. Um, you know, you know your body, um, and don't ignore it. Don't worry about bothering your provider or bothering your support system. Um, get help when you when you need it, um, and then also uh, just realize that the maybe the plan that you have in your head or the positions that you think you're going to be comfortable in um, may not always work. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, um, lean on your nurse and your midwife and your support system just for help in those moments. And that, you know, all the ways that babies make it into this world are are amazing and beautiful. Oh, my goodness. That is just lovely, lovely, lovely. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect way to end. Perfect way to end. So I don't know if you're on social media or anything at all. I always offer people the option. Um, are you on social media or um, open to connect? It's totally fine if you say no. No, I, I would be happy to. Um, maybe not on social media, but um, just via email, um, alexefrederick at gmail.com. I would love to, you know, chat with other other moms because I know that that would have been um, very helpful for me. Yeah. So yes, feel free, to re- feel free to reach out. Love it. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for agreeing to come onto the podcast and sharing your story. It was really, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. All right. Wasn't that a great episode? Thank you so much, Alex, for agreeing to come on and share your birth story. Now, after every episode where I have a guest on, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways and thoughts from the episode. Here are my Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Alex. Number one, Alex had the benefit of a supportive work environment when she was dealing with the exposure to the chemotherapy medications. And that is fantastic. But unfortunately, a lot of women find themselves in circumstances where they are not supported during their pregnancy and work and where they are discriminated against um, as they are pregnant. This can often be the case in lower paying jobs. Now, I unfortunately don't have a lot of great information and help necessarily to pass along about how to manage that, but I want to make you aware of it. And if you are listening and you have some great resources, then definitely shoot them my way, whether it's a DM on Instagram or you can email me through my website, drnicolerankins.com. But be mindful of that. And sometimes you just have to be careful. But I do want you to know that there are legal protections in place. There's the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Um, FMLA has some protections in place for pregnant folks and not being discriminated against. So do know that you have those legal protections in place. The problem is sometimes it can be difficult to activate them because of the timing and things like that. And I don't want to like scare you or, or make you worried, 
But I do want to make you aware of those realities so you can be prepared just in case. Okay. Point number two from my Nicole's notes is that you do not know what pain management options will work until you try, okay? You need to have lots of tools in your tool bag. Alex mentioned how like one particular position of sitting up is what really worked for her to help her manage pain. And honestly, you really just don't know until you try. The key is really educating yourself so you have different options available to you. Childbirth education makes that process a lot easier, especially when it's great childbirth education like the birth preparation course. It consolidates everything together for you so you don't have to go looking through like multiple different sources. You can just head to the birth preparation course. I have tons of information in there about all your options for managing pain, unmedicated uh, birth, epidurals, IV pain medication, nitrous oxide, all of it is there. And of course, there's tons of great information about labor, birth, postpartum education too. You can check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. It is incredibly affordable for everything you get in the course. And the third thing that I want to say is just a reminder to listen to your body. I am an expert in what I do. I've been doing this for a long time, 15 years, and I'm an expert in helping babies come into this world, but I am not an expert on you and your body. You are, okay? Remember that and bring that knowledge into your relationships and your encounters that you're an expert on what's going on in your body. So be sure that you listen to your body and those signals that it sends you and communicate that and remember that you're an expert for you. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to me right now. And I'd love it if you leave a review in Apple Podcast. Uh, I do shout outs from those reviews and they help the show to grow. Also do check out that brand new quiz, the labor pain quiz is drnicolerankins.com forward slash quiz and let me know what you think about that. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.